This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. H.W. Brands, a New York Times bestselling historian, is back with the epic struggle over slavery in the book, The Zealot and the Emancipator. With clear parallels to our current moment, Brands offers a dual portrait of John Brown and Abraham Lincoln, two men with radically different views on how moral people must respond to our democracy's most extreme injustice by incremental change within the system or by racial upheaval. H.W. Brands holds the Jack S. Blanton Sr. Chair in History at the University of of Texas at Austin. He has written more than a dozen biographies and histories, two of which, the first American and traitor to his class, were finalists for the Pulitzer Prize. Happy to have H.W. Branch join me now here on Speaking of Writers. Welcome to this program. Delighted to be back with you, Steve. So why did you decide on this book, and why did you want to consider both of these men together? Well, quite honestly, I had been wanting to grapple with Abraham Lincoln. But so has everybody who's written about American history. So I didn't want to do a biography of Lincoln. There have been probably several hundred of those at least. But I also wanted to zero in on what seemed to me to be the central moral question of his time, the question of what to do about slavery. But it also I wanted to frame it in a way that is, well, that seems to me kind of timeless because every generation has to deal with questions like this. Not every, question, every generation has to deal with slavery, but on issues of inequality, on issues of injustice. So what do you do when your government, which presumes to speak for you in a democracy, is involved in something you think is unjust or simply wrong in one way or another? When I was writing the book, I had no idea it would come out amid the protest demonstration of dissent we've had in the last several months. But it did sort of underscore what I thought of as, well, this is a, a timeless question. It just became timelier as a result of events of the last several months. So by looking at John Brown and Abraham Lincoln, I'm able to look at the, the two sides of this question, because the way I pose it is, what does a good person do when his society or government is involved in a great evil? And I needed two people who agreed that slavery was evil, but who t- took opposite views of what to do about it, because this, I think, is the heart of the question of, of a citizen. You know, what do you do when uh, policy, when law, when actions conflict with your sense of morality. John Brown chose violence. Abraham Lincoln chose the political route. What was John Brown like? What was his life like? John Brown was one of those people who spent the first 37 years of his life trying to figure out what he wanted to do with himself. He was not particularly well educated, although he read the Bible. And he tried his hand at any number of things, at which he never succeeded very well. In the background to this, he knew he thought that slavery was wrong. He told a story in later life of when he was a child. He had a black playmate, uh, a kid who was a slave, although it didn't really mean anything to John Brown at the time. He was only eight or nine years old. It didn't mean anything until he and his friend were playing, and the, the black kid's owner started beating him about the head for no good reason that John Brown could see. And John Brown realized that, wait, there's something that John Brown you know, I thought I was just like this other kid, but wait a minute, there's something very different here. And at that point, he realized something's not right about this. But it took it took almost into middle age for John Brown to figure out what it was he needed to do. Elijah Lovejoy was an abolitionist editor who had been um, killed by a mob in Illinois. And John Brown, 37 years old, stood up in his church in Hudson, Ohio, where he was living. And he said, I hereby dedicate the rest of my life 
to the struggle against slavery. He had found his calling, and once once he determined that was what he should do, that's what God wanted him to do, then he could focus on that thing. Until then, you know, I sometimes thought if John Brown had been a better businessman, a better farmer, he might not have become the abolitionist figure that he became. I soften that way in life. People find their way to their calling because other things don't quite measure up to their hopes. Chatting with H.W. Brands here on Speaking of Writers, his book is The Zealot and the Emancipator, John Brown, Abraham Lincoln, and the Struggle for American Freedom. So why was Brown in Kansas, and why was Kansas such a hot area for the issue of slavery in the 1850s? Nearly every American in the late 18th century, in the 1780s and 90s, assumed that slavery was on its way out. And so it was relatively uncontroversial, for example, for the American government to bar slavery from the Ohio territories, the region north of the Ohio River. And as late as 1820, it was possible to say the new territories west of the Mississippi River shall be off limits to slavery, at least most of them. And that Missouri Compromise, it was called, uh, held for 30 years. But then in 1850, it was overturned. Well, in the early 1850s, it was overturned by a series of laws and then a Supreme Court decision. And that's what made Kansas a hotbed for competition, violence between the pro-slavery and the anti-slavery sides, because Kansas was uh, created as was organized as a federal territory. And the understanding was that Kansas would become a free state or a slave state, depending on the population and the population preference at the time that Kansas had enough people to qualify for statehood. And so the pro-slavery side sent all of its friendly settlers into Kansas, and the anti-slavery folks did the same thing. And when they got there, they got engaged in violence, various acts to try to dissuade the other side. And that's what took John Brown there. He finally concluded that my opposition to slavery needs to take this direct form. John Brown was an activist by temperament, and he wanted to be doing something. If something was going on, if some struggle was taking place, that's where he wanted to be. Let's talk about Lincoln. What was his attitude towards slavery? Lincoln was as opposed to slavery in principle as John Brown was. Now, John Brown was an abolitionist who thought that slavery was so evil that decisions about what about slavery overrode anything else. For example, John Brown thought that if the Constitution defended slavery in the states where it existed, and nearly everybody agreed that it did, then we should burn the Constitution. Abraham Lincoln was opposed to slavery, but he revered the Constitution. Abraham Lincoln believed that the Constitution was what guaranteed freedom, democracy for all Americans, and would eventually lead to freedom for the slaves. But if the Constitution were destroyed, if the Union fell apart, then there would be no freedom for anybody. So Lincoln was as opposed to slavery as John Brown, but he differed diametrically with John Brown on what to do about it, both in terms of sort of principle, but also in terms of the efficacy. He thought John Brown was going in just the wrong direction. He was going to make slavery worse and was going to make it harder to uproot. Politics and politics under the Constitution was the way that was finally going to lead to the freedom for freedom uh, for the slaves, thought Lincoln. And at what point does Lincoln decide to embrace emancipation? Not till halfway through the Civil War. And a striking thing about the Civil War is that when Southern states seceded, 11 Southern states seceded, they seceded, and they were quite open 
that they were seceding because they thought the institution of slavery was under attack because Abraham Lincoln had been elected president as a candidate of this anti-slavery Republican Party. But Lincoln did not go to war to free the slaves. He made very clear that he was going to war to preserve the Union. He went so far as to say that if he could free the, if he could preserve the Union, well, the way he put it was, if I could save the Union by freeing all the slaves, I would do that. If I could save the Union by freeing none of the slaves, I would do that. If I could save the Union by freeing half of them and leaving the other half in bondage, I would do that. My job is to preserve the Union. Lincoln didn't think that he had the constitutional authority to directly move against slavery. Now, he finally came to that conclusion, but only under his authority as commander-in-chief during wartime. It was something that he finally concluded he could do, he must do during the war. He had grave doubts whether that decision, the Emancipation Proclamation, issued as an executive order during wartime, whether it would stand up to legal challenge after the war was over. So he said, well, we, what we really have to do finally is to amend the Constitution. How does John Brown end up at Harper's Ferry, and what happens there? John Brown fought against slavery in Kansas Territory to the point of directing the murder, the cold-blooded murder of five pro-slavery settlers. But that wasn't enough. He decided he needed to take the battle directly against slavery itself. And so he plotted this raid on Harper's Ferry, Harper's Ferry, because there was a federal arsenal, a storehouse of weapons. And he was going to distribute the weapons among slaves in the region around Harper's Ferry. And those slaves then would fight for their freedom. And in the the violence, the war that resulted, then slavery as an institution would be so shaken that slavery would finally fall to pieces throughout the United States. That was his goal when he and about two dozen of his followers raided Harper's Ferry in the autumn of 1859. In our remaining moments with H.W. Brands, his book is The Zealot and the Emancipator, John Brown, Abraham Lincoln, and the Struggle for American Freedom. What was your research process like for this book? I knew the general outlines of the story. I knew Abraham Lincoln better than I knew John Brown. So the main thing I wanted to do is to find John Brown's voice. Now, it turns out that there's been enough interest in John Brown over the years that all the letters that he ever wrote and that still survive, have been collected and published. And so I was able to look at those. And I was able to, John Brown was an, an attractive figure. He was a charismatic figure. And he was basically catnip for journalists who wanted to hear about this guy. And so people um, looked up John Brown, and then they wrote stories, and sometimes newspaper articles, sometimes memoirs later. So I needed to try to figure out what made John Brown tick. And I, I I think I got it from John Brown's side, you know, why he was doing this. I still am not sure I've been able to figure out exactly what made him such a magnetic personality. That's something I think where you almost have to meet the guy because the effect he had on people was remarkable when he was captured, arrested, put on trial at Harper's Ferry for attempting to overthrow the government of Virginia and free the slaves and in the process killed several people. He was put on trial for murder and treason against Virginia. He nonetheless won over. He didn't win acquittal, and it was clear he was going to get convicted. But his jailer, even the governor of Virginia who came to visit him, came to believe that this guy was an upright man, and he could. the governor of Virginia found himself falling under John Brown's spell. So that's the part. I think that's a part you simply cannot get unless you meet the person. And, and even then, 
it has to be at a particular moment and under particular circumstances. So, but I did the best I could. And what is the lesson to be taken from this time, from John Brown? Fast forward to today, all the unrest this year in this country. Well, one of the lessons is that if you want to make permanent change in American politics and American policy, the only way to do it finally is to work through the system. We have this system of government. We have a constitution. And it was the 13th Amendment of the Constitution that ended slavery. The raid on Harper's Ferry didn't, Ferry didn't free any slaves at all. A second lesson to take, and it's kind of a cautionary tale, and that is you can be on the right side of history. Almost everybody today would agree that John Brown being opposed to slavery was in the right. But if you allow your right convictions to carry you too far, then you can first do things that you shouldn't do at all, the, the murders. They can carry you to illegal and immoral ends. But also, it can have consequences that you have no conception of. John Brown thought that his raid on Harper's Ferry might trigger, okay, violence across the, the South, but nothing like the Civil War. Would John Brown have accepted the 700,000 deaths in the Civil War as a price for freeing the slaves? I don't know. I hope that it would have given even him pause. But, of course, nobody ever knows how a war is going to turn out before it starts. The book, The Zealot and the Emancipator, John Brown, Abraham Lincoln, and the Struggle for American Freedom. The author is H.W. Brands. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks, Steve. And this is Speaking of Writers.